Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and usually I'm here with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, but he is enjoying some sabbatical time. So I've invited my friend and fellow spiritual director, Reverend Adele Calhoun, to discuss her book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Each week, we will be discussing a chapter from this transforming resource and looking at it through the lens of the invitations God might have for us, individually and in community, as we emerge from this life-shifting season of the past year and a half. Here is this week's conversation with Adele Calhoun on her book, Invitations from God. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to you, Adele. I'm so excited about, I think I'm excited about our next invitation, (laughs) taken from your book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. I'm here with my friend, Adele Calhoun, and we are talking as spiritual directors and spiritual companions about God's invitations to us post-pandemic and really generally. And this next one, your sixth chapter, The Invitation to Admit I might be wrong. What a compelling, almost impossible invitation in a time when we are as polarized Mm -hmm. and divided on every level, you know, politically, racially, in the church. Nobody's admitting they're wrong these days. I haven't heard that lately. Have you heard that lately? I have not heard that lately. Even when people are blatantly wrong, I have not heard anybody admit that they are wrong. So, We do need to talk about this one, and we won't just be casting aspersions on other people. We'll have to look at ourselves, too, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us about this invitation to admit that we might be wrong, and what what motivated you? Like, I'm always very curious as to what motivated you (laughs) to choose the certain invitations that you chose to highlight, because there are more than the ones in this book. You definitely prioritize some Uh, of them. Where did this one come from? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So truth, truth is, my husband is one on the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. and ones do not like to be wrong. So this was written for him, is what you're saying? (laughs) You're hoping he hears this invitation? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much true. (laughs) But it's not just for him. It's for all of Mm -hmm. those of us, and I would say all of those of us, who have ever in our life been so identified to our opinions being right Mm -hmm. that we refuse to listen or hear somebody else yeah so it's it's not just for the the people who are ones it's for it's for for all of us and and this sense of we can be way too attached to our certainties our theologies our political opinions our way of doing things and and the fact that it is our way, just simply setting that up as the standard for everybody else. And that is something we do really naturally. Mm-hmm. We don't have to try to do that. It's just mm-hmm. natural. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I want to ask you, has it been easy or hard for you to admit? What makes it easy or hard for you to admit you're wrong? Well, sometimes we just really do think that we've thought it through and we've done the reading and we've done the studying and, you know, we, we do think we know what we know. And 
so it is hard sometimes to give that up. And especially as we, you know, order our own life and our own world around the way we think about things, sometimes to change the narrative means that we have to change the way we see ourselves, the way we see the <laughs> world, you know, <laughs> which is not always easy. I don't know if I even understand fully why we get so entrenched. And, and I, I also think that some of it could be developmental when I think, I know I've said that before in some other episodes, but um, early on in our lives, we are trying to put life together. We're trying to put the world together in a way that makes sense to right. us. Developmentally, that's essential. And so it is a later part on the spiritual journey, I think, mm -hmm. to be able to open up to the fact that other people's perspectives might have something to them mm -hmm. and that it's not necessarily our job to always have to defend the faith and to always have to convince people of our way or to always see, you know, see the same, you know, the same view of politics and things like that, that mm -hmm. I think it's actually a function of maturity mm -hmm. that brings us to this because there are developmental stages that almost require competency and ego strength and things mm -hmm. like that. But eventually this invitation from God comes. Mm -hmm. I think early on the invitation is to put some thoughts together and find a way of thinking about life that makes some sense. But then later on in the journey, I think this is God's invitation to us where yeah. God says, you know, there is another way and there are other things that are more important, yeah. you know, than you being right and having it all figured out. <laughs> and hopefully we're listening to this invitation when it comes. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like there's something about maturity that is the ability to live with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Yes. To, to live with it. It's not black and white. It's not either or. Mm -hmm. And when, when we're children, we need that. We need, yes. you know fire is is hot and it's going to hurt you mm -hmm. don't touch it you know right. as you grow up you have to learn how to use fire <laughs> how do you light a campfire mm -hmm. what do you do with fire and and that's appropriate but if i think it getting stuck there rather than going into the discomfort of the ambiguous and lack of safety that comes when i I think there are people who just feel unsafe if they can't nail things down. Yes. I, I know on the Enneagram that's mm -hmm. also, sixes have a very hard time. They want to be certain. They want to have authorities that tell them what to do. And um, It strikes me that maybe every number on the Enneagram has a different way of experiencing this need to be right. Oh, I and think that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, for a different reason. Yes. But... We, I don't think anybody finds it easy to admit that they're wrong, but for all sorts of different reasons. And I wonder if there aren't people for whom they admit they're wrong so easily because they have such a low self-esteem and this sense mm -hmm. of, well, if I stand up for myself, it'll just be an argument. And so it's just easier mm -hmm. to say, yeah, it's my fault. Right. I think there is, there are people who abdicate and go to yes. that. Yeah, but I think that... That is true. I feel like in our day right now, this ability could be one of the most important things that could help conversations go forward oh. in the current milieu. We, and we mentioned it earlier on, but I, th I think we need to really walk into it a little bit and say, what, would, what difference would it make in our conversations if we could enter into conversations even slightly open to the fact that, that we're wrong and maybe someone else has a perspective that could be valuable? to me um and yet the the culture that we live in right now is very much about just lobbing your arguments across the chasm of the divide 
versus any sort of leading, you know, listening and mutual learning. And yet I don't see any hope for us as a church or as a country or as a world if we don't get beyond this very thing right here, this difficulty of admitting that I'm wrong or that maybe I have more I could learn or there's more to the story than I thought or there's another part of the perspective that I need to consider. I don't think we can move in any of the major issues of the day without some of this ability to admit that I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, and and you even, uh, I was just thinking about Adam and Eve and their their response to, you know, to God when God comes looking for them and how hard it was for them to admit that they'd done something wrong. I mean, we've inherited this. It goes Mm -hmm. way, way back. And that sense of the shame that comes so many of us rather than saying you know it is human to err who said that to err to err is it's human to for, forgive, forgive is, is divine, divine or something mm-hmm. like that rather than saying I, I i will be wrong a lot in mm-hmm. this life it's like I, I can never be wrong and and in my own experience i know growing up there was a, a, a big sense of you needed if there was a law you could keep it if you shouldn't steal you shouldn't steal if you shouldn't lie you shouldn't lie you know you you would be able to do it and I couldn't do it you know I lied and I stole the lifesavers at the grocery store and you know I but it but when I was caught and I was caught Mm. it was so hard to admit but there there was the evidence but it was so linked to shame and not being enough Mm -hmm. and that there was I was bad yeah and I feel like that message is a very unhelpful message Mm -hmm. So how do we uh, frame the fact that we're going to be wrong in ways that don't kick into the deep pool of shame a lot of us bear? Right. And that resistance often is, if, if I admit I'm, I'm wrong, it's like all of a sudden I'm nothing. Yeah. And what's so hard is that no progress will be made if people involved can't admit to any of that. Mm-mm. There's no progress that can possibly be made. I think one of the places in our cultural life together right now where this is really hard and challenging has to do with the whole issue of white privilege um, and white supremacy, that it's been very, very hard for white people to admit that maybe we did something wrong. Maybe we did take people's land when we came here. (laughs) Maybe we're living on land that we took. Maybe we oppressed other peoples for our own economic benefit. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are still inequalities that need to be addressed because we were wrong Mm -hmm. in the way that we handled ourselves with our black brothers and sisters. There's a level of resistance among Mm -hmm. some Christians to that, that I understand on one level. I mean, I remember when I first started hearing those words and it did feel shameful to admit that there was a kind of privilege that I had that others didn't have just by virtue of skin color. Mm -hmm. And it took a while. It, it took a while mm-hmm. to be able to fully admit I'm a part of the race who did that, you know, and I still live in privilege because of those yes, things that happened, that happened in the past. That's right. So, so one of the things that's disturbing right now is that there, that it is so hard to admit that in many circles. And there's, there's even almost even entrenched refusal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to acknowledge this, and to admit it for these very reasons that it is hard to admit it is very hard to admit and uh just our rationalizations 
kick in. You know, mm-hmm. my, my parents weren't here when. That's right. You know, we're immigrants mm-hmm. too. We have these narratives that deflect. And yet the, the fact that my, my immigrant grandfather was white gave him an advantage. That's right. And, and that advantage is something that has advantaged me. That's right. And, and I feel like it, it is hard to admit, and it does, it does beg questions about mm-hmm. what's my responsibility yes. now. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need a lot of, of help to have these mm-hmm. discussions and to say, what, what does it mean? Well, so when you ask the question of what makes it hard to admit that we're wrong, maybe that's part of the answer, too, is that then there will be some personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. If I admit that I'm wrong, there may be something I need to do to make it right. That's right. Right? To, to walk it back and to do something different. I think that, you know, the admission that I might be wrong is, is taking responsibility in a significant way. It is. For myself. It is. And whenever, I think, you can tell me if, I'm going to say whenever, you can tell me if this is always true, but I think whenever we say, I might be wrong, or I am am wrong, I'm taking responsibility for myself in a way that could transform me. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm opening myself to something new. And when I think about Jesus, one of the phrases he uses again and again and again and again and again again with the most religious people of his day is where do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? And I think that that is about is there any space in you that has room for a different narrative? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Than, the, than the one you have about what the Messiah will be like and what the Messiah will do. Is there... Is there any other interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures you are even willing to consider as possibly true? Mm-hmm. And and they weren't, by and large, you know, it's like, no, this is what Moses says. And Jesus says, yes, but I say to you, this is what Moses mm-hmm. says. So in other words, you can have Jesus right there with you offering up a different narrative and choose to ignore it, right? That's right. And Jesus says, you know, you should search the scriptures to think in them you find life, but you won't come to me to have life. Here I am. Hello. Yeah. Look at what I do. Look at the evidence. We were talking Mm -hmm. about this a little bit ago. Look at, you know, John the Baptist. Are you the Messiah? Well, the blind are healed, the deaf hear, the lame walk. You know, look at the facts. Look at what happened. Draw your own conclusion. And we were talking about how when we don't have a sense of that these are the facts, how that also breaks down the ability to have discussions. Well, so Adele, that brings up an interesting point, doesn't it? Facts? You know, facts. (laughs) Yes, whether we can agree on facts or not. Because even the facts aren't always agreed upon, correct? Mm -hmm. Like, I've been really, really shocked that once the insurrection happened, that there were people almost immediately who started to question whether or not there really was one. I think for political ends, but that's my opinion. That we all saw what we saw, and it was not a calm tour through the Capitol, you know? But now we as Americans can't even agree on whether or not there was an insurrection and that it was an insurrection. Mm-hmm. 
I don't, how in the world do you talk to somebody who doesn't believe there was an insurrection? How do you talk about something as important as that with them if they don't even believe there was one? I think it would be very much like trying to talk to someone who doesn't believe there was a Holocaust. Mm-hmm. People who, after the fact, tried to say there was not a Holocaust. And it's very dangerous, isn't it, to oh. just dismiss real historical facts mm-hmm. and to not be able to even stand there and talk about things from the platform, from the foundation of facts? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. I feel like I, I'm just trying to, as I in, in real time think about your question. I keep thinking, did Jesus have trouble with people who who didn't share his same view of the facts? Mm-hmm. And I think he did. He had trouble with people who, you know, had different versions of the Son of Man or whatever. And then, even I wonder. You know, he did healings, and you wonder how many of the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying, well, he, he didn't really do that. That, that, that there's probably something there in Scripture about how, how you can't have the discussion if you can't agree on the facts, and if we can't agree on the facts, you can't be wrong, and I can't be wrong, because we are talking about different mm-hmm. events. And where do we stand if we're mm-hmm. talking about different events? I, I don't know the answer to this. I I think when each one of us has a narrative that mm-hmm. is so contradictory and that I, I, I can't hear it, I guess I'm, I'm back to practicing your presence and saying, okay, well, yeah. explain to me how you think that, why you think or that. Or even coming to the conclusion that the most loving thing to do in this relationship would be to stop trying to, to have this conversation, conversation because it doesn't all. take us anywhere good. We, st- we can then be freer to love versus trying to argue out anything about the facts. I, I think we probably at some points have to be willing and see it as love, not as avoidance, right. um, not as withholding. You know, I'm going to withhold myself from you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to have, but it's not any of that. It's just a loving acknowledgement that probably if we can't even agree on the facts about something, there's not a lot of good conversation for us to be having we can't you know move anywhere from here um and but i think that it doesn't make it makes me sad to say that it makes me sad that this is where we are as a country that even the basic facts now of who won an election and things like that whether or not the voting was rigged or whatever i have never in my lifetime experienced anything like this where the basic facts of things cannot be agreed on I've never experienced anything like this. And on multiple, multiple levels, multiple, not just one thing. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, there are some situations where the ad- admitting that I might be wrong may not be quite the thing, you know, to say, right. well, I might be wrong, but I really think there was an insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. You right. know, I'm there, right. I could be wrong on lots of things, but that one I'm just not I think feeling I watched it on about. TV. And I think I saw it from multiple cameras, no matter which station you were watching, it was all there. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, well, we probably digress though, because the other part of the truth is that there are many, many, many relational conversations where admitting that we might be wrong would be really, really helpful. That's right. So let's let's talk about that and why it's so hard. I was really interested in um, some research that you noted here that says that um, compelling arguments and trustworthy data change nothing in a study that you're quoting from. In fact, researchers found that exposing people to contradictory information actually entrenched people in their existing beliefs. 
confirmation and then you bias. say if, yeah if you're if you are wanting to change someone's opinion this is not encouraging news <laughs> yeah so how in the world do you move forward in a conversation where not only are people entrenched in their opinions and in their views but even any any factual anything that you would present that's contradictory is only going to entrench them further in their beliefs do you answer this question in your book adele <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I wait till I'm on a podcast and can That's ask right. somebody really wise. <laughs> Ruth, I have no idea. But what so, do you make of that? Seriously, what is your application of that? What do you do with that? So this is what this is what I do, and I don't think yeah. this is for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when I know that their narrative is so very, very different, and mm-hmm. that mine is so very, very different, I feel like I have to get. I have to win trust in other areas because Mm -hmm. there's so much right now trust that's broken just because we have different interpretations of the same event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, you called it being on the surface. How do I bless this person anyway? Mm -hmm. How do I love them anyway? What good can I, you know, this sense of, of trying to undo any narrative that says, Every Republican or every mm-hmm. Democrat is bad based yeah. on my my view. I, I want to somehow step step away from the, the narrative, above the narrative, and say, how do I step in and bless this person? And as I get credit and where I can to say I could be wrong and mm-hmm. to lead in that. Maybe it's not about yeah. this, but... It, because sometimes it is that shame that needs dismantling and there's mm-hmm. so much fear. But if I say it first, if, yes. if I'm the one that's willing to say, you know, almost picking anything. I was so wrong today when I was talking to my husband, mm-hmm. you know, so that I confess wrongness in a way where people see it doesn't have to, to be this indictment of my worth in the world. Yeah. And I often feel like that kind of vulnerability probably has more leverage than any argument I could ever say. Yes. I mean, if you say I might be wrong and you say it with any sort of sincerity at all, that is very disarming, you know, because then you are setting yourself up to learn. I even wonder about, you know, when we do the examen that maybe a part of the examen sometimes could be if there was a difficult conversation that involved controversial ideas and thoughts, maybe we, in our examen, we say, man, I really didn't handle myself like I would have wanted to Mm -hmm. or something like that. But to say, to say to God, is there anything for me in that conversation, anything that you want me to know or to become aware of, that would be a very humble and impactful prayer. Mm Because I think God would Mm -hmm. answer us if we prayed that. Right. And it could be that I could say to you, you know, mm-hmm. I know we had a hard conversation, Ruth, mm-hmm. and and my tone, I just want to apologize. Mm-hmm. I feel like my tone really was unkind. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I can, there are, there are just ways that we, we do things that step all over people and make it harder for them to admit wrong. Yeah. And now, Steve and I would like to take a moment to share a little bit about another way you can go even deeper on your spiritual journey around the themes we're discussing here on the podcast. We'd like to tell you about our transforming communities. 
transforming community is a practice-based spiritual formation experience with nine quarterly retreats. The transforming community experience is designed to integrate your spirituality and your leadership and help you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. I was a part of TC6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. It is really hard to explain all that happens in this two-year, 27-month experience. So over the course of this season, we're going to be inviting different ones of our alums to share about what their transforming community experience meant to them. So here's what this week's alum has to say. My journey toward the transforming community came after reading Ruth's book, Sacred Rhythms. I remember I was in such a season of such spiritual depletion, and I was questioning the Christian life as I knew it to be. I remember how stunned I was in the first three retreats as I as it felt like God was opening my mind to a broader way of life in the Christian faith. It was jarring. I had no idea. Things like how I was looking at scripture, how my prayer life was. I think most importantly, I just realized how my soul needed the attention that I've never really given it. I really did feel like the caterpillar going into that cocoon and waiting to see what God was going to do with me. I shake my head thinking about where I was before the transforming community because I really thought I knew so much more than I did. My experience with the transforming community was truly life-changing. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and to apply to the next transforming community. And now back to my conversation with Adele on invitations from God. Why do you think it's so hard for us to be in mutually influencing relationships versus relationships where we're trying to prove our point and be right? What is the attraction to the being right and the need to be right all the time? Because I feel like there might be something inside us that needs dismantling in order to engage conversations at this level. It's just, it's just hard for us as humans for some reason. We want so badly to be right. What are we attached to in that? Um, and, I, and we said it earlier, too, that I do believe there's something in the Protestant DNA in particular mm -hmm. that, you know, we made our whole identity out of identifying the fact that reform was needed and then actually leaving because we couldn't get the reform done from inside and now, you know, we're writing our own statements of faith because we don't think the ones in our historic Christian faith are good enough. Mm -hmm. And mean, there were 95 ways that the church was wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I'm, I'm admitting that it's in our DNA to yeah. need to be right and well, to need and, to be the reformers. And I think um, I'm going to say there was something about the scientific revolution, mm -hmm. the enlightenment, whatever you want to say that all this this science came into the world thank god I, I i love it but we could know things and we could mm -hmm. nail down the flapping corners of the universe by research and study and then there was and we can know the truth yeah. and apologetics i mean i was weaned on apologetics yeah. you know the reasons for god the reasons for sin, what you do, what God and suffering, you know, just all of the big, big questions. Is mm -hmm. there a God? Is there a personal God? Is it a, that 
that was sort of my catechism. You learn these things so that you know how to answer people and answer them correct, have the correct answers mm -hmm. rather than the correct questions. Yeah, we and, know. And I feel like... The questions I, are more important than the, the answers we think we know. are more important. Yeah, because they open us up to the learning. You know, you have, uh, there's a phrase that you use in your book in this chapter called an invitation to teachability. And I like that. I mean, when it's coupled with the, the, you know, the invitation to admit that I might be wrong, it's another way of saying it, but it's a little bit Softer. more positive <laughs> in terms of what gets accomplished in my life. Yes. You know, that when I'm able to admit that I might be wrong, then I am actually saying I'm teachable. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to learn something. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I just wonder if that teachable spirit you know, th this invitation to admit that I might be wrong is an invitation to this teachable spirit, which would change mm -hmm. our, the tone of our conversations everywhere, mm -hmm. wouldn't it? It would. It would. And if, and in fact, if there was this longing to learn, um, and I even wondered if another, you know, kind of companion phrase could be, I might be missing something, you know? Yeah. I know I might yeah. be missing, because oh, the I fact could. is you probably right. are. Well, you have a finite mind. That's right. You are exactly. always missing something. Ruth. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. So could we just admit it? You know, That's I'm right. sure I'm missing. Maybe I need to say it stronger. I'm sure I'm missing something. something. And then hopefully if we do say that with any sort of sincerity, the other person can offer us up something we might have missed. That's right. Like a piece of the elephant that we haven't touched yet. You know? That's right. We could become more complete human beings. We could learn things. You know, we could transform. We could walk together in this learning posture. And there's something so beautifully humble about that and mm -hmm. disarming. I think you use that word. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all of these studies that say the main word people have about the Christian church is that they're judgmental mm -hmm. and intractable and they don't listen. And I think, what, what if we had this more disarming way of saying, I, I want to learn from you. I mean, mm -hmm. all truth is God's truth. Talk to me. I, mm -hmm. I want to, doesn't mean we'll agree, but I want mm -hmm. to see from your point of view. And, and there's something there about admitting that I might be wrong means, it's just saying, you know, I don't have a, a 360 perspective. Right. And I want, wherever you're standing on that 360 circle, I, I want to stand where you are for a minute and try to see it the way you do mm -hmm. and I think even even speaking back to somebody well this is what I think I hear you saying is that right did I get yeah. it right and then mm -hmm. they can yes. correct me and I say mm -hmm. well well okay I, I get that I think I get that is is this what you're getting at yeah and any of that kind of effort yes is going to help people I think trust one another right. and there's no talking to each other if we can't trust yeah you know when when you talked about putting yourself for a minute in the other person's position mm -hmm. and listening and looking from their position it, I realized that I think many people are afraid that if they step out of their position and put themselves in the other person's position that they will automatically lose you know, there's a feeling of threat about mm -hmm. standing in someone else's position and looking at things from their position. I don't know what the threat is. I, you know, like, what are we afraid we're going to lose? Are we going to lose our own certainty? 
about the position that we're taking if we put ourselves in their shoes? Are we afraid of something inside shifting? Um, are we afraid we might be wrong and we might have missed something all these years and will that be shameful and mm. humbling? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, hear, I hear you, yeah. Because I do think we don't put ourselves in each other's shoes for reasons. I think there are reasons we find it so difficult to put ourselves in someone else's position or to really stand inside their life experience for a minute and see it from their point of view. And and I, in my experience, when it's hard for me to do that, it's because I'm attached to my narrative mm-hmm. about what happened yeah. or how I see it. And I want the other person to see my way. Mm-hmm. You want to be validated. More mm-hmm. than I want to validate right. their way. Yeah. It strikes me that this is a place where we experience our spiritual transformation for the sake of others, the willingness to let something false within us die right at that point and to say, I don't need to be right right now. That's right. And that that's really much you more... You matter of, more than my rightness. That's right. And I can set that aside because I'm not attached, to use I'm the language attached. that you've used. I'm not attached to being right, so I can, mm-hmm. I can offer what I have, but I don't have to go further than that. Um, and that sometimes our spiritual transformation for the sake of others is really that intimate and personal. It's in a conversation like that where we hear God's invitations to not need to be right right now. Mm-hmm. That's right, Ruth. You ask a really good question in this chapter. How do I discern when to correct another and when to keep my thoughts to myself for the time being? I think that's a fantastic question because there are times when we cannot let certain things just go by. Um, and in fact, um, you know, in the, the racial reckoning that we've been in the midst of, there was one placard that said silence is violence, which struck me tremendously because what, th- what that placard was saying is that the people who did not stand up and, t- and talk about how wrong racism is, they were complicit in the racism complicit. that has been here all of our lives. So, you know, this is a place where you and I have, you know, are a little bit different too, because you're one that will tend to probably not say it. I'll be the one that rushes in and messes up my whole <laughs> life by saying it. <laughs> right? Like you and I have wrestled with yes, this. Yes, we, we are different there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about systems mm-hmm. and we've talked about the fact that when a person stays in a system that's unhealthy, that their very presence actually acts to uphold the system, mm-hmm. which is what the silence is violence placard is saying. Staying in the system, being silent in the system, and going along with the system actually helps to hold up the system, the system that has maybe hurt me, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a great question. How do I discern when it's the right thing for me to be quiet and learn and say I could be wrong, but, and when is the right time for me to say, no, I know I'm not wrong on this one. I know that racism is a sin against the gospel and against God as our Mm -hmm. creator. It's wrong. I can't stand here and be silent. Right. And, you know, I mean, like, here's a personal admission. My parents were very old school and they were, it's embarrassing to think sometimes about the kinds of things our parents said that were really very racist in nature. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Can we, can we, can we always sit there and say I could be wrong, but, or is there a moment when we have to say something like you did in that previous episode where you said, can you hold her pain? Like you, Mm -hmm. you inserted yourself. You knew there was something there for you to do. And part of it is 
I think this is a big, big question with a lot of answers. Mm -hmm. So part of what I know about me is that um, so much of my experience in ministry has been a, uh, in the field of gender mm-hmm. equality, not in terms of racial equality. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 is a place where I feel like I have more voice mm-hmm. because of my experience. And I remember saying to some close black pastor friends, you know, I feel like I can, I have done things in. Uh, gender reconciliation, but I can't in racial reconciliation. It's not mine to do. And I look back at saying that to them and I think, what? What? There is, you know, silence is complicit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I have interpersonal, personal relationships with people of color, but the system, what am I doing about the system? Mm -hmm. And that has definitely become a question, what is mine to do in in that case. So mm-hmm. how do you know? I feel like part of it may go back to what can I do? What is my vocation? Mm-hmm. Where do I have platform? Where do I have voice? Where do I have influence? Yeah. Because I can't I can't take a stand for absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to pick and choose. I'm limited. And, yeah. and so um, I may just have to say I will support and give to certain organizations that are working against mm-hmm. racism I will and I will do what I can and and other people will say that is not enough because God has called me to do this so I think there is discernment yeah that has to happen and it doesn't let me off the hook in terms of saying what's right and wrong mm-hmm. I have to say racism is wrong yeah and the place that I have some expertise and understanding is in gender mm-hmm. and training. It doesn't mean I. It's like I told you. I took a I took a college course mm-hmm. in justified anger and racism this spring. I'm I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to be somebody who who knows how to get engage in a. I have to learn. I have to to engage in racism. I have to learn. Yeah. I have to say I don't know anything. What I was taught in school mm-hmm. is 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 didn't doesn't help me at all. But that to me is saying, I don't know. Teach me. Mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in a place to learn. Yeah. And once I've learned, then maybe I can have something to contribute. But just to think I can rush in there and do something with no knowledge is, mm-hmm. is insulting to people who have been hurt by the system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you conclude this chapter by talking about confession. And I think that confession is a moment when we're doing more than admitting that I might be wrong. Right? <laughs> God, Con- if I'm wrong about yeah. this, could you yeah. let me know? I'm sorry if I hurt you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but confession is actually admitting that I was wrong. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute because to me that feels just as important as the other. To be willing to make our confessions when I know I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is really challenging too from the standpoint of shame because I think I think it's hard to make confession when we're, we, we, you know, we're afraid to be carried away by our own shame if we say I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is this is again where the narrative mm-hmm. is. God's face shines on me. Yeah, I that dismantling of the shame narrative. If we don't do the work around shame in mm-hmm. our personal healing, it will be so hard. Yeah, to confess yes. our sins. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
it will be it will feel like an undoing and twice in my life i've made life confessions Mm -hmm. you know actually three times because there's always more you know you live longer (laughs) there were so many oh my gosh there's so (laughs) i couldn't get it into one session (laughs) and i remember a lot more that i couldn't bear i resemble that i do i do (laughs) there was more and i just wasn't able to bear it (laughs) right now i need to but it is so freeing to have somebody hear your confession with a face that won't go away Mm -hmm. yeah that says i'm here receive God's love and forgiveness. And that makes it possible to say you're wrong. Those it makes the humiliations mm-hmm. the more the more you have your little humiliations, the less those little humiliations bother you and the more that's you right. can say this is being human. Yeah. Isn't it great? <laughs> yes, I mean that's what strikes me is that confession is just about being human. Like mm-hmm. no human is going to escape the need to confess their sins to one another. Um, and not just to the confessor, but to the person that we have wronged. And it, the scriptures are so clear that we are to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. That's going back we to the very first healed. invitation. We, w- we, mm-hmm. we could be healed we could if be we healed. could make our confessions. And how many relationships? I mean, I know that I have broken relationship multiple times and that relationships have been healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In confession. Right, right. Both ways. And exactly. <sighs> exactly. So to be able to make a confession, but also to be able to receive a confession mm-hmm. when someone gives us that and to be ready for that. I think that's something that we as Protestants are really uncomfortable with, receiving someone's confession. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what we do is we try to minimize, oh, it was no big deal. Oh, no it wasn't deal. that bad. I didn't even notice it. You know, and... We need to stop ourselves. I We need to really prepare to receive each other's confessions and that when someone feels like God has placed something on their heart and convicted them of something and they come to us when in a confession, mm-hmm. we better not say, oh, it's no big deal because clearly it's something God wanted them to become aware of and it's something that they that weighs on them that they need to bring. Well, and often if the Holy Spirit has gotten their attention mm-hmm. on that thing and they've followed through, yeah. And you have received it, it makes it possible to go deeper. Right. For them to go deeper with the spirit. That's right. That's right. So and if to we me, just ignore it yeah. then and minimize it as though it were mm-hmm. nothing, then that healing work doesn't take place. Doesn't take place. And to me, this is one of the places where we really do get to experience the priesthood of all believers. Yes. That we ordinary normal people that we are can actually pronounce absolution, if you will. Over you know and what a beautiful ministry i don't hold this against you and god forgives you and i forgive you and it's forgotten it's behind us now i will say that sometimes i think we get to that point slightly too fast Mm -hmm. um there's one other question that i think goes along with confession really well and that is what can i do to make it right Mm -hmm. i think that is the final piece of making a good confession is to say i've wronged you in this way Mm -hmm. and is there anything i can do to make it right Mm-hmm. And that's when the person says, no, really, this confession is enough for me. Or they might say, well, this would really help me. Like, I remember in one experience I had where someone confessed to me that they had slandered me. And I was so flabbergasted by the fact that they had actually done that. I would never have expected this person to mm-hmm. slander me. I was so flabbergasted and kerfuffled that I just forgave a little too soon. <laughs> Because I wish now that I would have said, 
well, what did you say and to whom? And would you be willing to go back to them and correct what you said? Mm -hmm. But I, I was so unprepared to receive the confession that I didn't think to ask for the last thing that would have made it more complete. Mm -hmm. So to this day, I don't know what they said and yeah. to whom. Um, I, I've done the same, mm -hmm. I feel like. Because it is, it is a shock and you want yes. to forgive. You do. Everything in you rises wants, up and wants it to wants be to right. Wants to forgive. Yes. And then it's like, wait a second. I still don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah, as... I think that's that's important. Yeah. It's important. And we'll talk more about that. At, yeah. When we it, get yes, to that's right. In the, next, but... in the next invitation. Well, I think the invitations of this episode are powerful. To admit that I might be wrong, which ushers us into a teachable spirit how that can change relationships and also then this invitation to admit that I was wrong, <laughs> that there is, there is both. And I think, I think this is a deep part of the transformational journey. Transformation takes place in these invitations. This is where we start to change. Don't you think mm -hmm. we change the way we think we change the way we are. We, you know, our relationships become transformative experiences for us and we are healed. Thanks be to God. I just want to close with two scriptures here. Please. Um, these are both from Proverbs. But they say, they say it all. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Mm -hmm. And then Proverbs 16, too. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Mm -hmm. The sense of, of how easy it is for us to make a judgment about us being right. And it is God who sees all the nuance, all the ambiguity, all the pain, all the history that has gone into that opinion, into yeah. that place. Mm -hmm. And to seek humility is to seek truth. To be humble mm -hmm. is yeah. to be open. And to be teachable is to grow. And yeah. so I think mm -hmm. the, these practices can lead us to places that actually reshape our world and our communities mm -hmm. and our marriages and our relationships. And I would like to offer up a challenge at the end of this episode. And that is that maybe we would do an examine with this particular invitation in mind to go over our life and our relationships, things that have gone well, things that have gone wrong, but to say, to ask God, is there any, any relationship, any place in my life right now where it would be helpful to admit that I might be wrong or where I know I was wrong and confession would be an appropriate response. Can you imagine how God might work mm -hmm. in that kind of a, an examine or in that kind of a reflection? So I'm challenging us sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours. Could we get a few minutes alone with God and say to God, is there any place in my life right now that would benefit from me admitting that I might be wrong or that I actually have been wrong and give me the courage to just get out there and do that because um, right. it will make a difference. Make a difference. All right. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts to choose from, and I'm grateful you have spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation by joining a transforming community. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. Also, thanks for your support of the podcast and the work of the Transforming Center. 
If you have enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can become a partner and receive exclusive content by visiting patreon.com slash transformingcenter.